Welcome back to Toys on Tap. This week we bring on a toy artist from a different sense of the meaning. Jonathan Queen takes toys, puts them in their natural habitat, puts the correct lighting, and paints them like no other. And because we are a lucky group, he has decided to work with toys more and more and enter toy shows as well. If you want to support Toys on Tap, you can like, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get podcasts. You can jump on any social media at Toys on Tap. Now let's get to this episode of Toys on Tap. It's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> hey, that's okay. We're in it. Setting it up. And you bared with me through it all. Thank you. Like, it never oh. fails that right before an interview, camera goes down, <laughs> Matt goes down. Yeah. Oh, how we well, feel? Are we good? We sound good? Yeah, it's clear. I haven't had earbuds in a while. I had nice headphones and I couldn't find the charger cord. Ooh. So I just ran out and bought these. And I'm like, all right, I've got to be able to, like, get the cord to the phone, get the phone at head level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, I don't pay for Wi-Fi at the studio. So it's like, I can get it sometimes and other times I can't with my laptop, uh-huh. but because I'm not paying for it, I don't care. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so my phone, but I'm, I mean, it's amazing technology advancements, you know, yeah. to be able to just zoom and do this and, are you, uh, yeah, technology's crazy. Uh, just like off of podcast stuff in the two years that I've been doing it, um, mm-hmm. I've always played with the idea of like, oh, how do I get a webcam? Do I, which one do I need? Um, but then they made yeah. something called continuity camera. So we're just feeding through my iPhone and it's going right into Zoom. So it's dope. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. So the camera is great. And um, are you? St- who are you stealing Wi-Fi from? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm in a I'm in a building called Essex Studios, and there's like 30 different signals here. Awesome. And so, some are most of them are locked, but a few of them are open. Yeah. And there's one that's just usually it's like half the time. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like I can send emails from my phone. I can check. Yeah. I never use my laptop for instagram or anything and if i and so if i need an image for reference or something you know i can find it on my phone and airdrop it to my laptop so yeah uh it's just the small screen you know and i think even that's funny because we're so used to looking at small screens now it's like you go to the theater and it's almost like i'm holding my phone up it's about (laughs) the same size if you sit back you know yeah hey i'm pumped that you're on you're one of my first I think you might be my first only paint artist of toys. Yeah. So I'm stoked to have you on. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Um, my name's Jonathan Queen, and I'm a fine art painter. Uh, I do mostly narrative still lives uh, with uh, toys as a main subject matter. So sick. I What really got me. Uh, was the one that you just put up. I mean, we're going to probably dive into your whole history and why this, <laughs> but uh, the one that just got put up at E2K. Oh, the Shogun Sanders mural. Yeah. Intense. 
Yeah, it was intense, but in a good way. And um, it's interesting because I just met Dustin a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, I've been friends with Winter Pony for about seven years. Uh, we worked at a production art job together. And um, I found out they were opening up this like bootleg art toy shop. I missed the first opening. I think I was actually a little intimidated to go. I'm like, I don't really understand what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I do. And um, although I've customized toys, I've done toy prototype sculpting. I've done all kinds of stuff. So it's a, it's a pretty um, wide variety of, of jobs that have gotten me to this point. But um, yeah, so I became fast friends with Dustin. And then I got the lure, you know, about a year after knowing him. Yeah. It's like they did the Colonel Sanders show where um, Barbarian Rage sculpted a little like blank um, Colonel Sanders and you could customize it any way you wanted. And I loved Beetlejuice. I'm like, I'm going to make a Colonel Juice. And I, it was like, that was my first, first custom toy that I sold. Um, and I've been making stuff for about a year. But after doing carded figures, just one-offs. Yeah. And then I did some larger scale stuff, altering uh, 12-inch scale figures. Um, I'm kind of in a regrouping, kind of like, okay, I've tried some different things, but um, where does my heart lie in this? Yeah. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, because I want <laughs> to hear... The next steps. Yeah, I want to hear where that heart lies because... I mean, to I, because this isn't a visual podcast, which is always tough, um, to see the work that goes up and to see how good it is, and then to hear you say, like, let's find out where else I'm headed. Man, like, <laughs> if you're this good with this, like, imagine where you're headed. And so I'm, I'm pumped to dive into this history of who you are. Um, I see crazy amounts of toys behind you. So... Let's start there. What is our our toys like? We can walk it all the way back to the childhood. Yeah, I could do like a small, like a. I'll do a short version, you know, kind of run you all the way through. Uh, Let's do it. The way I remember opening was um, Luke's Land Speeder when I was three. Yeah. And um, my older brother was into Star Wars too. And so he always had the cooler, bigger ships, you know, yeah. like I would sneak in his room and play with this stuff. I, I heated a needle and burned a hole in Greedo's chest because Han <laughs> shot him. He wasn't too happy about that. Yeah. Um, and then He-Man came out. Uh, my sister took me to the store. She's a lot older than me um, for my sixth birthday. And she's like, you can get anything you want. And there was no cartoon. Yeah to go with it i saw he-man and battle cat and the box art on this stuff i didn't know at the time that those were oil paintings but the the warm light and the cool shadow on those figures you know they're kind of rosetta-esque yeah. paintings and that was just my mind went into those worlds and so and when i got skeletor i couldn't hear like the maniacal laugh that was on the cartoon none of that existed you know it yeah. was all just my imagination. And, and that was the first thing was just mine. Um, so I got really into Motu stuff. But when I turned, when I was 12, I got my first skateboard and there was like no more toys. Oh. Skateboards were expensive. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when you're 12 and a 
professional board is 145 bucks. Yeah. Something's always breaking or wearing out and you're replacing it. And so fast forward to, I was 19, I was dating my future wife and we're walking through the mall and we just went into KB Toys on the Lark and they had a Rude to Ren Hoek from Ren and Stimpy. You squeeze his belly and he farted. Yep. I was, I just started crying. I was laughing so hard. You could do like pinch his tail different ways and do all these different versions. <laughs> and um, I was like, I got to get this. And then a few years later, um, my wife found a big boy, uh, rest, you know, big Bob's big boy. It's Frisch's, yeah. the franchise where I live is Frisch's big boy, but um, she found a big boy bank at a thrift store and thought I would like it. So I was in art school at University of Cincinnati, and I really wanted to be a figurative painter, uh, like um, painterly but realistic. Um, and do tell narratives with humans. And when I got out of school, um, I started doing a, um, I had a job as an illustrator, like a concept illustrator yeah. for a couple of years, but I always wanted to be a figure painter. And um, I'm sorry, this is kind of like weaving through, but it's like, I feel like each one of these touchstones yeah. kind of leads to, to where I'm going. Um, when I landed that job at U.S. Playing Card, um, it was like they had started an adventure games division. U.S. Playing Card makes bicycle cards. Mm -hmm. It's like the most famous cards. But Did you design any part of it like that is on some of those cards now? Well, we were working on stuff. So what's funny is my boss um, in the late 90s, the company reached out and said, you know, we have this, this card line we want you to print and for America. Yeah. And, and they said, no. And my friend was like, you're crazy. You have to do this. And his bosses, like the high ups wouldn't listen. And it was Pokemon. Oh, and they, they passed. And so when wizards of the coast got it, it blew up and they were like, it's like, nobody wants to get hit by lightning, but everybody's chasing lightning. Yeah. You know? So one, once it happened, they were like, well, we got we to gotta come up with the next Pokemon, which you're not going to. But mm -hmm. uh, um, so it was fun while it lasted. We made some pretty cool games. Um, we were trying to do um, like a, car, a collector card version of this Age, Age of Empires 2, mm -hmm. which is a Microsoft yeah. game. And I, I did a bunch of cards for that. Not stuff that I'm super proud of because <laughs> it's just like people in a field working or just a building. I took a lot of like the aerial views and drew them like what it would look like on the ground so i mean yeah. i was using like art skills but i was going from painting five foot paintings of people to these little five by seven acrylics um and and that was shrunk down onto a card you know an inch and a half by an inch or so um so that was a kind of a change but when 9-11 happened they kind of freaked out and like we don't know where this is going even though um the games are starting to kind of take off, but they said, we're just going to focus on bicycle cards. They cut the whole division. And um, anytime I've had to have a job, I want it to be somewhat creative and try to learn new skills. So I started doing um, like art framing. Yeah. And then that got me connected. Um, I had a commission. I was still trying to do like paintings on the side. I've always had painting be my second job if it's not the first. And so uh, I had a piece framed at a gallery, and I wanted to see it framed. So when I, when I went 
to see it, they were kind of confused that I wanted to see somebody else's framing yeah. work until they were, he said, oh, that was you? We wanted to know who you were, and the client went and tell us your name, but do you have a gallery? And I said, no. And he's like, you want one? I said, sure. <laughs> do you have any work? Well, I've got this one painting of a pumpkin I did. So when I graduated from school, we had pumpkins for our kids, like on the porch. And it, I, I just one rotted and the other one didn't. And I just kept looking. I was like, I need to paint that pumpkin. Yeah. So that was like my first still life I did outside of school. And I was into like antiques and animal skulls and stuff like that. And then um, I started thinking about that big boy bang my wife gave me. I was like, I want to paint that. And they had a small works show coming up. So I painted that. And the CEO from Frisch's, who's the franchise out here, bought it. And so then, then all of a sudden the gallery's like, you want to paint more toys? <laughs> like, and I said, yeah, was, that would be fun. And so basically the way I see it is toys became the figurative element in my work. And um, so I, I usually paint them at eye level, at scale. So that when you're seeing the painting in person, it's almost like a shadow box. And a lot of times I would use a shadow box. And so when it's when it's hanging at eye level, it almost kind of looks like a vignette mm -hmm. um, with controlled lighting. And so it's a lot of objects with toys. And then, uh, um, I mean, looking back, I realized I was sorting through. It was like art therapy for me. A lot of the stuff I was painting was dealing with like deep heart issues that I wasn't even ready to face. Yeah. And then um, I was doing well enough to where the gallerist said, you know, you'd, we'd both make more money if you just paint it full time. So he actually kind of, for a couple of years, had a safety net, whereas he would pay me my base framers job, like fee yeah. or my income. And then um, the idea was anything extra I made would be, I'd make more money. Um, and that had mixed results. It was kind of, I was experimenting and exploring different avenues. Some stuff didn't pan out. So um when the economy tanked in 08 yeah he was basically said i can't keep doing this so like you've got a year to settle up with what you owe and um so then you know i'm scrambling to find work again and at that time i helped a guy who did art restoration and he would restore old frames so um i was using two-part epoxy the aves epoxy sculpt um to rebuild missing areas of intricate frames. And then a friend of mine, a young friend of mine had just graduated school and got a job doing toy prototype sculpting. And he said, I think I can get you a job there. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm a, a painter going in saying like, I can sculpt, I have sculpted and, you know, I understand form. And so the owner of the shop basically handed me a brick of Chavant clay and said, okay, go make something. So I made a, a space, like a 50s space big, big boy with a ray gun instead of a burger. And um, he liked that he said it had naive charm. Because <laughs> 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 like, like the form was there, but there was also some like assumptions that I made. And when you look back at old soft vinyl, like from the 50s and 60s, there's a lot of tooling marks and stuff like that. It's not super refined um, all the time. And so um, I was I was there when they were busy. I was like the 14th person on. And then um, everything went digital. Like 
the professional guys that I was working alongside, um, like this guy, um, Stan Larsgaard, I think he had actually worked on some of the Ewoks and stuff like, cause since Kenner was here in Cincinnati, yeah. um, my boss worked at Kenner and when Hasbro bought them, he split off and started his own company. And, um, those, the seasoned professionals were saying, you know, it's going to take you three years to really get a hold of this. And about a year and a half in, um, the company decided to go digital. And it's like, you either have to learn this software or, or you're not going to have work here anymore. Yeah. And I was still pursuing painting. So I stepped out and, um, and I'm just, <laughs> no, no, that's good. I have so it's, it's a, a lot long of questions. Story. <laughs> Should I have, we pause there? You can ask yeah. questions. <laughs> I have so many questions for like stuff along the way. Um, which um for those listening, like this is my favorite thing about this podcast. We get one good question and then it's like 10 minutes of the, the artist <laughs> talking. And I love that. Um walk me back to we're gonna go all the way back to skateboarding. Yeah. Uh, give me the year. So you said you were 12 years old. What, what year is that? Um, 87. I got my first, I got a cheap board in 86 when I was okay. 11, uh, like a Nash from Toys R Us. Yep. And then I got my first pro model deck. It was a Rob Roscoe target three or target four, actually. So we're talking for anybody keeping track <laughs> super wide. It was shaped like a whale, you know, like a yeah. big flared out tail. Um, it was a board made for a vert, but yeah, yeah, I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, you know, where there was no yeah. ramps around. And um, trying to learn kick flips on those wide boards was an uphill battle. But yeah, I skated pretty heavily. Um, I still skate. I mean, actually, during COVID, I built a mini ramp in my backyard, um, and a couple of my kids still skate pretty heavily. Um, we interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have an engine failure. We must crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist-made action figures and DKE toys. Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Ready for custom action figures. DKE. I've hurt both of my shoulders. Yeah. Uh, which affects my work, you know, yeah. and, and it's kind of scary. I'm 48 now, so yeah. Um, I'm I'm kind of at that point of have I quit? My wife's like, you're still a skater, but I don't I don't get on it that often. Yeah. So that's the beginning of skateboarding. It's like really going through this weird thing in america where everyone's trying to ban it but then all these pros start coming out and these companies <laughs> are emerging um so that's dope that 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 you were a part and like we're on it so early on uh also it doesn't surprise me that you hurt your shoulders and stuff at all <laughs> um, i've heard a lot of things yeah but yeah those are the ones that i'm like picking up my drink and my, just I'm left-handed my right yeah, my, yeah it's uh it takes uh, a long time to heal. And then as we move up a little bit, you're 19, you're dating um, the woman that will become your wife. And then mm. you walk into KB Toys and you want to buy a toy. 
what's that conversation like? Because you don't have toys at this time. All of a sudden, something's awakened in you, and you're now convincing your girlfriend that this is. Oh yeah, I think she was totally for it. Like we were both cracking up, and it made sense. Yeah. I think later later that year, she like Toy Story came out. She bought me a Buzz Lightyear for my birthday. Yeah. So, um, it's just one of those things where, like, I held on to my Star Wars figures. Um, in our first apartment, like I line them up on the windowsill. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't really, I, I never really felt like um, I was a collector. There were just like memories. Yeah. For a long time, you know, and, and Ren and Stimpy just changed the face of cartoons forever. Mm-hmm. I, I think everything seems to be influenced by it. And it was influenced by so many old cartoons that I grew up watching. Um, like just, I mean, it's funny because Looney Tunes, were such a huge part of my childhood. But then yeah. right as I was getting into like, when I started getting into skateboarding, it was when like Looney Tunes had this whole like hip hop resurgence. Mm-hmm. And it was super weird because I'm like, that's not who they are. They're this yeah. old thing. And I really like vintage stuff. I, I, I mean, when I started buying toys on eBay to do, to use in my own paintings, I would just type in like 50 squeaky toy and just scroll through like a hundred pages and see something and be like, that speaks to me. I think I can put that in a painting and they were cheap, 10 bucks. Um, And so it's almost like I was painting a nostalgia that I never had. I was like, I was being drawn to older ways of making things like tin toys, which are pretty expensive. I couldn't, a lot of the tin toys I've painted, I've borrowed from other collectors because yeah, I mean, those are several hundreds of not thousands of dollars each. And they like what I'm doing with it. You know, so people, the people I know that collect those are nice enough to loan them. So I didn't really start. uh, So when I worked at US Playing Card, I was like the least nerdiest person in my whole group. Everybody was super gamer, comics, toy collectors. And I just... I had grown up playing D and D with my older brother, but like I wasn't, I was too impatient. Like I've never been diagnosed with ADHD or anything, but my attention span is, is pretty bad. And I hated just sitting while he was reading to us and just like, okay. So I have played that stuff and it's like, I understood what people were into. I loved comic covers, but like you'd open it and the art wasn't the same. So I never got into collecting comics because mm-hmm. I wanted it. I mean, now they have graphic novels, which it's like the art's good all the way through. But um, there were just all these, all these barriers that kind of like kept me from really diving into one thing. Like I said, skateboarding was it for me, and it just kind of took up, you know. But you know, you get hurt, and it messes you up, and you can't work, and that kind of stuff. And so I've tried to be, try to be more careful about it. Um, and then all of a sudden, like I'm making a living selling paintings. And buying toys is a tax write-off because it's like inspiration or it's actual, you know, yeah, product. You know, it's things I'm buying. I need this to make the painting because um, I I paint from observation. So I basically have different desks in my studio. I set it up like a stage. I put different backdrops in or props, and I light it a certain way. And I'm really controlled with the temperature of the lighting. I think that the fine artist in me. Uh, really appreciates the, the the sculpting ability that the people who made these toys had, you know, and in the life they, they the focus that they put into making these toys, and then I try to light them in a way that features 
the sculpt and, and try to really paint it to bring the life out that I see in that toy. And, and, um, and so, and I, I really try to even think about like that atmospheric perspective, uh, which is shallow on an indoor, you know, when you look away in the mountains of purple, it's like, they're not purple, you know, that's green. Those are green trees on there, but you know, subtle, there are subtle ways to use atmosphere. Um, and it doesn't translate well into yeah. photos. So fine arts best seen in person. Mm-hmm. Um, to see the nuance, but you know, we live in a digital age. So that's how most people see my work. Um, and I pay, I pay to get good photos made most of the time. Um, so I think it's pretty close, but anyway, yeah, I just, um, so I do need the, I need the props in hand. So even when I've painted commissions for people, I've had people mail me a box of toys and I'll figure out a composition, send them pictures. And once we agree what we're going to do, I'll paint it and I'll ship the toys back, ship the painting back. Um, but yeah, for me, it's really important to just, and I literally, I don't do a lot of sketches when I'm coming up with ideas. I'm literally sitting there like playing, like, how does this, how do these interact or how do they stand together or how do they oppose each other? And, you know, um, I let the, sometimes I'll have a narrative in my mind and I try to find toys that fit it. Mm-hmm. Other times I look at a toy and it just like it wants to be painted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then I'm trying to build, I spent so much time trying to build an, an appropriate narrative around something. I had this realization last fall and this is getting pretty modern. <laughs> hmm. um, I'm, so I'm never going to paint all these toys yeah. that I have. And, and so why don't I just start doing acrylic portrait? It's like, just put it, light it interestingly, have it just facing me and I'll just paint, paint it larger than life to where I'm like, when you're a kid, all your toys were bigger in your mind than they are now. Cause your head was way smaller, you know, yeah. so they seemed bigger. Um, so I'm just going to start painting portraits. And then if I never get around to a narrative with that toy, at least I felt like I've honored it somehow. And those took off and did pretty well. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing, I have multiple different bodies of work that I'm doing. I, I still do my narrative oil paintings, which take way longer, but it's really fun to, it's, you get a dopamine hit, you know, you finish something in a week instead of six months, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're like, Oh good. I just started this and now it's done already. That's uh, I want to do this again. Yeah. When you, um, I mean, Walking through that part, um, I mean, I working at a company that makes all these games and stuff at that time mm-hmm. and not being that nerdy, like that's crazy because mm-hmm. like because they're making games and like even doing playing cards and things. And what a bummer that they said no to Pokemon like that is. The yeah, well, the reason thing. the reason that, that job became a job for me was because my friend's boss became senior vice president. They fired the other person that said yeah. no. And then told my friend, like build a company under you and we're, we're going to support it. So do this thing. So I'm going to E3. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Xbox reveal in yeah. 2000, you know, just like, uh, I don't know. I feel, I mean, it was fun. I played games. Like, I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, like when Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out, I'm like, this game was made for me. <laughs> this is my yeah. my people, you know. It's like that's actually why 
I didn't even have a game system. I got a PlayStation because Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out. Um, but it was kind of, I mean, we had video, we had a Dreamcast in our workspace. Like you just people be hanging out playing games and um it was, you know, it was inspirational. Yeah. Um but you know, and so I was exposed to a lot of things that kind of laid dormant um as far as inspiration goes. Um and I think that's something that so I mean, going all the way back, my parents both grew up on farms without houses. Yeah, so for me to be an yeah, so like for me to be an 80s kid, even though I was in Lexington, Kentucky, which is a really small town, um, but it's a, I mean, it's a small city. Um, I had MTV. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very thankful. Like that was my tap into the, to what was going on in the world. And, um, but I remember moving to Cincinnati uh, after I got, I got married, I moved to Cincinnati and started going to UC um, when I moved to Cincinnati, I changed how I talked because I realized my country accent, I didn't pronounce all the vowels, <laughs> just a couple of them. And I talked really slowly. And so um, that's been, that's that was kind of like the first big wave of like imposture center. Like, um, like, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I yeah. fit in. I don't know if people like, once they once they figure out <laughs> a little more like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this and to kind of be on the fringe of those, of those groups and those different jobs and always kind of feeling like I'm coming in, I'm doing this for a while and then I'm leaving, I'm going back to my own thing. Mm -hmm. It was like, I never, I've never had a job as an adult for more than a year and a half. I've always gone to the next thing or always pulled away. I guess a huge part of my career, I should say is, uh, um, in 2012, I got asked to um, pitch a design for Kroger um, for their corporate headquarters, and they picked it, and I was the lead on the job. So it's like a 48 by 96 foot um, bot, like box of produce. It's on its side, like it's getting ready to spill out. And so, you know, after painting, a big still life for me was two feet by three feet, and then you do this thing where it's almost a hundred feet wide. Um, and I, I finished about 65% of it myself. I had a team of mm -hmm. assistants and, um, but it was my, they, they loved my design. It was like, do what you want. And then, um, I spent two years working on these paintings for a carousel that they built down by the river, um, between the football and baseball stadiums. And, um, that was a really, a really lucrative job and it was steady work it's like the the most steady my income's ever been as an artist um but i was also becoming a real workaholic and i was never home like i just those two years were pretty hard on the family and then i got offered the kenner mural i don't know if you know about the kenner uh oh yeah it's called the kenner toy heritage mural but basically, because Kenner was based here, once that became an option, the company artworks that organized over, I think there are over 200 murals here now, they called me and said, if you want this, it's yours, because you seem you're like you're the perfect, you're already painting toys. Yeah. Everybody loves the other one you did. Um, and I was like, oh, of course I want to. That wall was like 65 by 125 feet. Mm -hmm. And it took four months it was like a month over, but like over time, 
and I was doing 90 hour weeks for over half of it. When I finished that, I just was, I came back to my studio and I couldn't even paint. <laughs> I was just so burnt out. I was like, yeah. I don't even, I don't have any ideas. I don't have any drive. I need money. So basically a friend of mine worked at a production art place that did stuff for theme parks. Yeah. Um, like uh, animatronic fiberglass statues. And, um, and one of the guy who, the guy who ran the mold shop when I worked um, in toy prototypes was now at this other company and he was head of finishing. And so um, he had trained me how to use an airbrush back in like a few years before. And um, so I got on there and I worked there about a year and a half. That's where I met one trick pony and we've been good friends ever since. And, um, basically it, but they were working me 60 to 90 hours a week there. And I was like, this isn't, I wanted out of the crazy. Yeah. This place is just like a continuation of it with not great hourly <laughs> rates. <laughs> you know, you kind of had to have the overtime to, uh, to make it make sense. And if you're young, if you were fresh out of college, you'd be like, well, this is a dream job. But when you have a family that you're never seeing yeah, and um, you're just always exhausted, it's just, um, so then I found out about another company. It was more, it was a more tame version of that. We did signs for the zoo and stuff like that. But at each one of these jobs, you know, it's like, okay, I learned how to. Thursday night, 7 p.m. YouTube Live, it's Toys Alive! Toys Alive! Toys Alive! There's way cool artist unboxing. It counts under 1,000 followers. Art out there for 30 bucks or less. Collector Spotlight. Current upcoming shows and drops. Giveaways. Short chats with artists. News from the hood. 100% indie all the time. That's Toys Live! Thursday nights, 7 p.m. PST, YouTube Live. Make a silicone mold. And um, I learned how to use HVLP spray and really dialed in my airbrush skills. Um, color matching on a large scale, um, you know, matching Pantones and stuff like that. And um, so I learned good skills there. Uh, I even got to start carving into, um, I don't know, HDE, it's high density urethane foam. It's the way that it's made. It's not, there's no like wood grain to it. Mm -hmm. it's, it just kind of flecks into powder when you sculpt yeah. it and then make it in different densities. And you, you can sculpt that and just seal it and paint it. And that can be your finished sculpture and it can endure outside. So the job I switched to after that, I did a lot of relief sculpture for signs for theme parks and stuff. But then I was starting to get that itch, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, I need to paint. And um, this hotel reached out and they, it's called Graduate Hotel. They're, they're spread throughout the country, but they always do local theming and they try mm -hmm. to put a lot of art. And they said, would you be willing to make another toy mural? <laughs> so they had this like 50 foot wall behind the front desk. And they said, we want to do something similar to the Kenner mural um and i said oh of course yeah i definitely want to do that so i left my secure job um to take <laughs> on this mural yeah but 
COVID hit and everybody got laid off. So if I would have not taken it for security, I made in six months on that mural what it would have taken me like a year and a half to make mm-hmm. at the last job I had. So that mural got us through COVID. Yeah. And um, and what was really cool is, unfortunately, with the big Kenner mural, a lot of some like Hasbro was putting money in towards it. And so all these like upper management people started having a say and like, you can't put Stretch Armstrong in there because he was just a flash in the pan, you know, that toy broke after a while. And um, do you know about, do you know about that toy? Oh, that's awesome. Yes. And the thing is like, if it broke open, it would basically turn the bottom of your toy box into a Jolly Rancher. Yeah. And anything that was stuck in it was, was toast. And so um, I couldn't believe that they said that because in my original pitch, it was him pretending to fly the Millennium Falcon over his head. And so there would have been like a 70-foot Millennium Falcon in that mural if I would have gone with my first pitch. But um, they said, oh, you can add anything that you think is appropriate. So I got to put Beetlejuice and like I put a Blythe doll in there, which was a a Kenner toy from 72 that has like an international following now, but it was a flop when it first came out. Yeah. And um, so basically, yeah, I was kind of like, I was given this chance to, um, and it's at eye level. So like when you walk into the hotel, it's kind of far across. And I, I made the horizon, like the, I don't know if you know about perspective, like, so your, your eye line is where the horizon line is. And like, Anything, anything that was like a structure, like the Ghostbusters firehouse. Yeah, you know those. The vanishing point for those angles are I made them on the eye level. So when you walk in, it's almost like that mural is like a continuation into the space. Awesome. And um, yeah, and it's and it's really fun. I mean, I never would have thought. And then this toy company that does invention, Bang Zoom, they had me paint Stretch Monster on the side of their building. So it's like stretched out 50 feet, like it's holding onto the side of the building. And I never would have thought I would have had so many chances to do toy murals. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just an example of like, if you do what you're passionate about, then like you're setting yourself up for when those opportunities come, like you're on people's radar, you know? And it's like, um, one of the things that I... I can't, I can't regret it, but I didn't paint my own childhood toys ever. Mm-hmm. I was, I felt like who's going to want a Skeletor, you know, when I was selling through a gallery, yeah. but now that is a vintage toy cause I'm older. <laughs> and so I've kind of been trying to tap into like, what do I actually want to paint? I've painted Pee Wee Herman a few times. I mean, he was a huge artistic inspiration. His show was kind of mind changing for me when that came out, I was 11 yeah. and, um, very cool uh, stuff happening there. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, so then, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out at Earth to Kentucky and it was after an opening and we're just standing around shooting the shit. And like um, Polly, Dustin's wife said, oh, you should, you should do a mural on the side of our building. I was like, what should I do? Like Shogun Sanders? And we all laughed. And then um, that was it. And then um, they were convincing me, like, you should you should come to DesignerCon. It's, like, perfect for you. It's, yeah. like, art and toys together. And um, 
so I, I stayed with them. I went out, um, this was 2022, November. And um, it was amazing. But like a, a few, three days before we were supposed to fly out, Holly said, oh, the deadline for the mural, the, the uh, city of Covington is giving grants. So can you like Photoshop something together? So I just like wrangled all these toys together and did a photo shoot in my studio and then digitally mashed them up and just dropped some like sci-fi art, like toy box art behind it. Um, and we pitched the idea and then flew off. And then we found out, oh yeah, they're, they're, they love it. They're going to pay for it. So a lot of people thought, oh, so that's the design you're going to paint. And it's and like, <laughs> for me, I was like, no, that's like when a musician lays down some sort of like studio track like just almost like a notebook like yeah here's a sketch of what this could be but once once i knew it was a go i was like i gotta make this thing so i i bought i, I got the dragoon uh shogun warrior because i i thought his body would most fit that and then i bought the 31 inch stormtrooper cheap because his hand was missing and um i cut his chest panel out and like so I'm like cutting apart this <laughs> show. It's, I, I figure, you know, anything that's manufactured, unless it's like a prototype, I would never destroy a pro prototype. Right. But if it's something that's made it this far and it's already missing parts, like I'm okay with cutting up a vintage toy. Yeah. There's other ones. Like if you want one, you can find one. I'm not taking the last one. So, um, yeah. So, you know, something like this, it took all of those past jobs that I thought were these random jobs of toy prototypes, you know, even the, the material I used to sculpt those frames, um, being able to mask things off and spray paint and then hand paint details and stuff. And it's like all, all the things I've done to scrounge my way through, you know, to yeah. try to stay being an artist have kind of come together and like this mural is the first time I painted my own subject matter. So I've always been painting vintage toys. And now I've got this 20 foot toy. That's like one of a kind, like custom toy that I made. And then I got to paint it. And so now people are happening upon it and you know, it's just out there. Yeah. That's really exciting. It's super wicked. And then watching the video of it getting put up um, was you don't get the scale of how big this thing is uh it's, and i've never been to e2k and so like watching through instagram and the only way to get the scale is just watching panels upon panels come up because it's so massive which is incredible like i didn't even know that building was that big yeah it's a two-story building there's apartments above it and that's kind of a narrow space so uh when i was in art school i loved italian renaissance and um, that's the only place I've traveled to see art. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Rome and Florence, um, probably shit, 15 years ago now. Um, but a lot of the paintings in the cathedrals and stuff, the murals are site specific and the artist knew where the light source was. So every time I do an exterior mural, I think about the trajectory of the sun, where it's most commonly going to be when it hits this wall and I light my still life that same direction and i typically use a warm light source with cooler shadows so 
I, I try to paint it into this environment. So it's stuff that nobody's really thinking about, but intuitively, like when you're looking at it, it feels right. It's not jarring in the space. Um, and they're working on getting lights put on it, and I don't have any lit murals. Um, so it's going to be really cool. The German Mainstrass Village that it's that they're close to, like when you drive down Main Street in Covington, like you're going to see him towering above vehicles from yeah. like six blocks away. Giant kaiju. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with you collecting now, which I, I would you – Earlier you said not necessarily a collector because you're you're doing these things, but then because all the shelves behind you, I'm a you... collector. I'm a collector. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It. I, I own it now. Um, it's weird when when you have an addiction and somebody else you know has a way bigger addiction. You're like, oh, not me, man. I don't yeah. have a problem. It's that guy. Um. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where. I think the turning point for me was when I got my job doing totally prototypes, my boss was a kaiju Safubi collector and I didn't know what that meant. And I just walked into his office and there's a whole wall of these wild monsters that I didn't even recognize. And they were kind of doll like in their posability. And it was just really confusing. Um, and he told me a little bit about it. And then I started researching and I was like, shit, these, these are like hundred dollars a piece, you know? And, um, I was visiting, we were visiting my wife's cousin in New York city and literally just we're walking down the street and I abs I accidentally found kid robot in yeah. 2007, maybe 2008. They'd only been open a couple of months. We walked in and I saw these gorillas toys and I was like $64 for a little toy. Like who would pay that? <laughs> like the future you would pay that and a lot yeah. more. And so, um, yeah, it's it's like uh, th things change. Like after working there, and then um, I started going on to Super Seven and eBay, and I would, I, you know, the way I told myself, I'm looking at these sites like cardboard spaceship or um, like my plastic heart. It's like. One thing is, it's, these are artists. These are living artists making toys mm -hmm. as their art. So I'm not going to buy it and paint it because yeah. that's their art. And um, but it's inspirational to me, and I really like the things they're doing. Breaking news! Welcome to the Furby Break, where we tell you about an upcoming show put on by Toys on Tap, hosted by Toy Du Jour. To start, do you want to talk about why you okay Toys on Tap doing a Furby show? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you, you came to us and you half mentioned the, the idea and that you were shopping it, you know, looking for a place to do it. And as soon as you said Furby, I was like, absolutely. Uh, not, not just because of how, um, how prevalent it is in, in our, <laughs> Uh, not age group, but, you know, just like in the, in the zeitgeist of, of collecting communities, you know, Furby is a, a huge deal, but also um, my landlord's son really likes Furby and I can't wait to, for how pissed off he's going to be that he's going to have to buy so much of this art when his kid sees it. 
<laughs> What's crazy is um, I start, so I've never curated a show, never done any of that. So I started reaching out to what it became was like a lot of my favorite people. And then um, from that group, I split it into different countries. And then from that group, it was like, who has different skill sets? And just everyone's excited. They're sending me their progress pictures through DM. This show is about to be insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like that you did that. Uh, I have a tendency to try to find artists that fit the format that I'm yeah. doing. And uh, I, I've, I've learned since, you know, uh, you're doing this and it, it's great. You, you did this and, and Dano did this when he did the nugget show that, you know, it, it pays off to, to reach out to folks outside the normal uh, format of what you're looking for, you know? Um, one of the cool things that we talked about early on was we would send out the McDonald's, those happy meals, and then gave them the option, Hey, this is what we're looking for. But if you decide you want to do Furby art instead, like we could tie both of those in. Um, and I'm happy to say over half decided to go with the McDonald's, like plastic Scott Hensy sculpt. Yep. Um, but the other half in like involves there's a couple prints, uh, action figures. I know I'm bringing in an action figure and it's it's becoming more than I thought it would, which is pretty exciting for a show. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we, it's as easy it is for me on the uh, the one end when everything's yeah. uniform. Like we just did the Nintendo show and it was boxes and cartridges. Um, getting to see all the different stuff flow through. I mean, that's, it, it's, it's a weird Christmas morning. Every time we get a package or somebody posts something, it's like, Oh my gosh, what's coming through now? You know, it's the most nerve wracking part uh, of putting these shows together is actually putting the, um, the pieces up and making sure everything's represented the right way and like can be viewed the right way. Cause it's, it's a fairly small space that we put everything in. Um, and what we have to work with, we've had some overflow on previous shows where like we'll find space for other things, but bringing in all these different types of items uh, and having the store open while we're trying to figure it out and helping customers and people bringing stuff to, to sell to us. Uh, that's why we need the, the amount of time that we need leading up to the show to, to put it together, you know? Yeah. What do you, on the night of the opening what do you anticipate it looking like or feeling like in there? Uh, so there's never any telling of what what the uh, the turnout specifically is going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the vibe, if we want to talk to that, I, I already know it's going to be such a feel-good show, you know, because that's kind of like what the, the Furby vibe is, you know? Uh, and then people bringing that to it. I, I know that, like, some some of the artists are possibly going to lean dark with what they do because that's an inherent take on when you're presented with something as uh for lack of a better word like like a wholesome toy uh to see it and go like well i want to go the other way with it and that makes sense but i know that the the feeling of furby rings through so strong that like so many people are going to be like well i want i want to bring that through in what i'm presenting as well so I know that the, the, the feel and the vibe of the show and like everybody there is going to be real, real positive. Uh, uh, and it's not to say despite any, any darker leading toys. It's yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause I know that that that's, that's just art and that's what comes through, you know? 
I'm pumped. Uh, I'll be flying out, so I can't wait to be there on opening. Um, yeah, I was the my brain started going into like weird directions of, man, do I make Furby shaped cookies and hand those out to people? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I I can't wait to be there for opening. Yeah, we've had we've had some stuff in the past where uh, we we partner with some local businesses. So like uh, Polly G's is a, a pizza place that has done a few of our shows with us. Um, we reach out to them anytime we have a weird ask, and we're like, "Can you do a pizza like this to fit this show?" And they've done they've done some great stuff where they've almost like done three D printing cheese, like just to like have logos and stuff on a pizza. Um, they the one that I, I still can't figure out they they did the Voltron show for us mm-hmm. and uh, they made a Voltron pizza where like they used different color toppings on the one pizza, but the blue it it always escapes me what they used for blue because blue is not a like a color that turns up often in food, yeah. uh, and I it had to have been like one of those purple potatoes or something possibly that they uh, blanched or dyed a little bit to to get the color right, um, but yeah like the Furby cookies. You know, if we if we think of something in in the meantime, for sure, let's let's there's something in there. You know, do you want to tell the details of how it opens, how long you keep it, all those things? Uh, it's our it's our normal shop. Uh, the shop is open. Uh, like you can buy anything that's in there, uh, including the art. But like you know, we're open for normal sales. Uh, we close the shop at six p.m. on Fridays. And what we normally do and what we'll do for the Furby show is we'll stay closed for an hour so we can finalize anything that needs to be done. We reopen at seven. Um, people sometimes line up outside waiting to get into the art show. Um, and then when we open the doors at seven, you're allowed to come in, walk straight up to the art. You see something you want, you just turn around to me at the counter, me or Liz, and ask uh, to purchase the piece. <clears throat> so what we do, you would pay for the piece then and just the entire show stays up in, in in its entirety for about two weeks. After that point, we'll text you um, if you're local or we will ship to you the item that you bought. Um, now, pieces start coming down and then we rearrange the show that's uh, remaining with unsold pieces and that usually stays up there for a, about a full month. So opening night pieces sell, they'll stay there about two weeks and then we'll start pulling them down and letting people pick them up. And then another couple weeks, the entire show's still, or, you know, the remaining show's still there. Um, then also during the show, we have light drinks and snacks, usually some weird Oreo flavor that we go out of our way to find. Um, and then there's uh, beer for anybody 21 and up, and you are also allowed to BYOB. So like we'll have coolers and stuff set out that if you want to bring stuff and set it in there, go for it. If not, we have a really weird Coors Light machine in the back that's always stocked. Uh, it's a, it's a refreshinator. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, this big Coors Light refrigerator that you smack a button on the bottom and a can rolls out the bottom. Uh, and then we'll have like whatever beer that we decide to pick up outside of that. Um, yeah. And there's music playing. We'll, we'll see about getting a DJ for this one. We, we have DJs from time to time, DJ the art shows. Um, and then, yeah, uh, hopefully some of the artists will make it out. I, I saw some on there that are semi-local, and they do come to the shows, so that'd be nice. I can't wait to see it. I, you know, uh, it's um, there's, like, toy shops that do things for resin artists and toy artists, and 
being in California, I don't get to see those shops. So this will be, you're the first of those shops that I've seen, which is cool. Um, so I'm pumped to be there in person and to uh, just be, I think, in the vibe of like an art show as well as a toy shop. Like that's something that I've never even seen. So I, I can't wait. Right on. Yeah. I'm excited to, excited to meet you in person. Yeah. And, uh, start putting this show together. Awesome. Um, any final thoughts on the Furby show before we get rolling? Um, I'd say if there's, if there's a piece that you see that you're interested in, uh, like when the show goes up, uh, I'm, you feel free to reach out. However, um, I can't sell to uh, individuals outside the gallery opening until after the show. So people coming into the show for the gallery opening get first dibs on the art that's there. Cause that's kind of the point of the show is to, yeah. to get people in our doors. Um, but you're more than welcome. Cause we'll, we'll do um, that's something I didn't go over. Sorry. Uh, after that, we'll, we'll do an Instagram claim sale uh, with any unsold pieces. Um not always, but if somebody's adamant about a piece, um, reach out to me and see if you can snag it after the gallery opening, but before the Instagram claim sale. Uh, if there's too many, I might tell people to hold off and just claim during the sale. But if there's somebody just like, I I can't live without this piece, let's, let's see if we can make it work for you. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, thank you again for letting this happen. Uh, it's a dream come true. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super, super excited about this one, man. And so I started, I started buying small stuff. I'd only let myself shop in the sale category, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I only paid forty dollars. It was seventy, you know. So I'm trying to justify <laughs> it that way. Yeah. And then um, Brant Peters had this stingy Jack uh, pumpkin head clown body, and it was like this limited colorway. This Japanese painter had painted it and it was just like it just really s spoke to me and i was like so that was like the first time i'd spent more than a hundred dollars for a toy and that was that was a big deal it was kind of a monument and then in 2010 i had an art show out in oregon i went to billy galaxy's shop and i bought my first vintage soft vinyl i actually got an ultraman figure okay i have a thing where it's like i don't want to buy I knew who Ultraman was, but it wasn't mm -hmm. like a that big of a thing yet for me. Um, I'd learned about it from my old boss, and um, I never wanted to buy a kaiju that I didn't hadn't seen the show or the movie. Mm -hmm. It was almost like I wanted to learn about them and see their personality. I read into everything, like I overthink everything, and I read into everything visually. You know, it's like everything means something yeah. to me as a, as a still life painter, or can mean something. And so, yeah, I just, and it's like, as I've become more of a fan of the movies and the shows and stuff, I've started letting myself collect that. Um, and, and so it was like, yeah, the price keeps going up. And then when I went, when I went to designer con last fall, I only knew of one toy that was going to be there that I wanted. And oh it was, uh, it's Galtan by Zolomon. Mm -hmm. And um, do you know what Pachi Kaiju is? I don't. <clears throat> it's I, it's loosely translated like not, it's basically like knockoff monster. Okay. And in the 60s and 70s, like the same way that we have, like, I mean, bootleg anything, they're basically like they would take famous monsters 
and mash them up. So like somebody had done this little card art illustration in 1970, it came out and it was like, um, Anthlar, which is like a big, uh, big, like, um, beetle guy mm-hmm. with uh, alien ball tan pinchers. And then they just plopped a human skull on it. And, um, and then it only existed that way until like, I think around 06, this Japanese soft vinyl maker sculpted it and made it mm. into its own toy. Um, and like another example, Zagaron is a really mm. famous example of um, Pachi Kaju that just has a life of its own. Um, that's the last, literally the last painting I just finished. I just did a Zagaron portrait. I just landed my first one after wanting it for a decade. Nice. Um, at PowerCon. Like, I went to PowerCon just because Dustin and, um, like, Resin Blood was there and Barbarian Rage. And I was like, I just want to go see those guys and and, and hang out. And um, I'm not a big collector of Motu. Actually, I thought of you. This is one of only two toys I got, this old yeah. um, Skeletor. It's like an earlier Skeletor. It's smaller than the more popular yeah. Blow Mold. It's about it's probably about ten inches tall, but his face is crazy. Has so looking. much wear on it, but it was like they they tried they tried to get some good color in there. Um, he had a sword at one point, but yeah, it's it it's a more it's a slightly more aggressive sculpt than the bigger yeah. one. But then I, I bought that uh, Zagaron because somebody had had gotten some a collection to resell, and so they just kind of happened to be there. But anyway, um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating to, to think that, like, okay, so when I bought that Galtian, I just beelined for the booth. I was like, if they have them, I got to get it. I think they only had five or six mm-hmm. at the convention. And I might have been the first one there. Um, and it was like, no matter what they tell me, I've got to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it was a lot. I don't even want to say how much I spent, but it's definitely my most expensive toy to date. Yeah. And it maybe should remain my most expensive toy ever. Um, I'm still really glad I have it. It's a beautiful colorway. It's a beautiful sculpt. Um, it's very inspirational. And I've even debated, I've even started making like a three and three quarter scale knockoff of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, bashing together a few toys. I haven't cast anything yet. So okay. all my toys have been one-offs, um, but I'm that's that's kind of why I said I was pausing and trying to reevaluate the direction I want to go because a lot of times Dustin would have a show at E2K and I would get excited about the theme and I would just stop whatever I was doing and dump a couple of weeks into a piece, but then I realized like that's too tangential yeah. for what like my main focus as an artist is I'm. I'm a painter who does paintings of toys. I've customized toys for years. I never thought about selling them as a toy. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. To me, that was, I get to keep this. The painting I'm making goes away. I can't afford to keep my own work. That somebody else wants, but yeah. I get to keep the prop. You know, so uh, this shelf up here is it's like fantastic. all the customized toys I've made. And it's... uh and, and those are close to my heart. Um, more recently, I've started doing these, um, like, vacuform masks for toys. Oh, they're fantastic. And then, and then painting it. So it's... Uh, 
And what's funny is it's like you live in this world, everybody's getting the same influences. And then you think, oh, I'm going to do this original thing. And then like Michael Morris showed up and he's got, he had already yeah. so, started like selling a few. And I really like his. And, and I told him, I was like, dude, to me, you're the guy making them. And I'm also going to make some, but I'm not going to, like, I love, um, Hedor is one of my absolute favorite mm -hmm. kaiju, but he already made a Hedor mask. I'm like, I'm not touching that. That's yours. I, I love yours. I bought, I buy every single one he makes. And then I made this, uh, like Pee Wee Herman, uh, skeleton costume for the talking doll and i made this i cast his face out of plaster and then sculpted over it to make the mask still have his expression yeah um and now that he's passed like he was a huge inspiration i think some part of me always hopes to try to collaborate on something mm. but i don't i don't want to be the artist in me is like too much of a purist and i'm a i'm kind of afraid like i don't want anybody to think i'm capitalizing on his death yeah. But to honor his legacy, I kind of, there are toy ideas that I already had that I wanted to make. And I almost kind of realized, like, there is a huge part of the art scene that really liked him and respected his work and um, were influenced by him. And so it's almost like as a way to honor him. Um, so I'm just not in the multiple scene yet. You know, yeah. it's like I keep making one thing. And I try to use it in a painting and then I move on. Which is still incredible. I think that, I mean, making multiples and doing all that, um, it's fun and I, I do it. And um, I've gotten to the point where I have people now 3D resin print, so it's quicker. Mm -hmm. um, but making that one-off where all of a sudden you're proud because this one, because I love being um, a part of, the E2K shows and just making one figure and sending it off and it being a part of this mm -hmm. amalgamation of everything. But um, yeah, I, I think my, um, my patience level is very low. So if I have to paint the same thing 20 times, <laughs> it just gets, I get more and more pissed off as I go. Yeah. Uh, those masks that you're making, uh, I just bought one today. So I have a, a deep love for Furby's. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a mask of like they made Furby masks just like that. Oh, and no I, way. Yeah. And I bought one today because I thought I needed to have it, which is awesome. <laughs> but so you're yeah. saying it was made for a human child of a Furby or it was or it wasn't a mask you put on a Furby? No, it's made. It is the worst. Um, if Furbies weren't creepy enough. You now have a plastic <laughs> thing that has yeah. plastic that can slip over your face. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the eyes are like they bulge out, but then there's this giant like hole in there so you can see. Yeah. It's so ugly. And I'm gonna display it for all to see. Mm -hmm. Um nice. I think why I'm so interested in I think your work and and you're mixing not many people get to do the thing like do your passion and live it out and love it and this is your work and uh you've talked about not having uh like this steady job every time or like you've moved from painting to painting but you're doing it around this subject matter that means the most and i mm -hmm. think that that's incredible to see on this side um because mm -hmm. I, it's a dream to only work with toys and like do that kind of stuff 
it's weird because I'm not trying to get like too psychological about it, but like I was saying in my early work, a lot of it was sorting through childhood wounds and stuff like that. And then yeah. I actually sought out professional therapy and I was in like these healing groups with people like where you're in the same group for two years. And so nobody knew is showing up. So you can be really open mm-hmm. and kind of going through like stages of like processing stuff. And five years into that, it's like, like I have a better relationship and better understanding with my wife and my kids. And um, I understand the importance of not just always being in the studio. Some, some of that was maybe avoiding, like I couldn't face that stuff, you know? So it was like, diving into my work was like the one thing I could control. So now it's hard because I'm trying to hustle and like the economy's changing and, um, you know, things are unsure, but at the same time, like I don't have that deep drive to like process this pain and I wasn't even really sure what to do. And so I started like, I started thinking about like how we all like the way that we dress and the way that we groom ourselves or don't as like, I don't groom myself that often, but um, basically, you know, and it's, it's an obvious metaphor, but you know, masks, like the way that we present ourselves. And so, um, and I also love vintage photos of like kids dressing up for Halloween and stuff like that. So I started dressing toys up as other toys or as, Halloween characters and and then having them pose for their portrait. That was really fun for me because I'm such a meticulous, um, like I want to control every aspect of everything I do, but I only have a day. And sometimes I'm like work, I was working a full-time job and I'd come home and put like three or four hours into a, a sketch or a painting on paper or something. Yeah. And, um, and it's a whirlwind, but it, it really helped me. Um, that was the beginning of me embracing this idea of like don't just paint things that you found because every toy that i buy is manufactured which Mm -hmm. means any other still life painter and it's happened before i've had people see paintings and they're like oh i saw your painting of this it's like that's not mine it there's a toy in it but it's not my painting and um and i thought you know i have personal ideas i have a personal vision i have characters that i think about and, and and so the kind of the back door through like making some toys, doing these paintings where I might look at three different references, but the thing that I draw and paint doesn't exist. And and I know it's only going to be six hours spent on this. So just do it. And then whatever it looks like, I'm putting it up. Yeah. I never skipped out on posting something I did. And that helped me kind of get over this fear of perfectionism and worrying like, what are people, well, somebody might look at this and think it's not, exactly how I wanted it. It's like, well, of course it isn't, but that's not the point. The point is, it's like flushing through ideas. And I think by making more and feeling comfortable with it, um, is actually leading me towards, um, towards the path of being able to find some of my own characters to, to eventually make toys of. Yeah. Which, which is I'm super stoked. Yeah. Incredible. Like that. I, mm-hmm. anytime someone wants to create toys, I'm all about that mm-hmm. life. Um, so is this where you're landing? You were talking about regrouping and and all of that. Yeah, man, I'm not even sure how much I want to say about it, but um, a real pivotal thing that happened for me when I painted the carousel paintings mm-hmm. is 
it was first Cincinnati parks and they wanted landscapes of the parks. And I said, that's boring for kids. Like no kid wants to go, Oh yeah, there's more trees. Like they don't get it. I said, the park monuments and landscapes will be for the parents, but like the kids need a name. I said, can, and if you start painting people, it's like, it's going to be dated in 10 years. It's going to look weird. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put, if you paint realistic humans in there, um, and I said, why don't I put animals in it? And so it was, I made this up. I mean, James Gurney is an artist. He did the Dinotopia books. Did you see those? I have seen them. Um, they're just, a, it's like this fan. He used to be an illustrator for National Geographic. Mm-hmm. So he would know how to do research and interpret and do stuff. And then just on, on his own, he wanted to do the story that was just as much visual but he's a really good, he's really good at explaining his process. And he talks about how to paint things that don't exist to make them look real. And so I show, I'd go to the park and I'd take like hundreds of photos. And I even chopped up the landscape to kind of make it make sense without like, but kind of controlling it like a still life. And then I used the clay to sculpt the figures. Um, and then I would light them the way the sun was lighting the scene, digitally color it, put those in. And then I worked from my laptop. So I was painting things that didn't exist in a, in a semi-realistic way. And so that was kind of like the first time I was completely inventing something and then putting it into a painting. But for some reason, there was a block that was like, I still felt like I couldn't do this. Yeah. And then when I started doing the Halloween prompts, it's funny on Instagram, it's like, you can't just lean on the facts you get from Instagram. Like you have to follow your heart, mm-hmm. not just likes, but when you do something, you really like it. And it gets like five times the likes that you've ever gotten on a piece before. That means like people enjoyed it too. You know, like it's like a popularity vote on your own stuff, not compared yeah. to anybody else's stuff. It's just like within your own thing, like what's the norm. And you can kind of track that. Like most stuff I post, it'll be like, varied and then every once in a while there's this blip where it's like well that people really responded to that and so that's that's helped kind of guide um some of the direction of what i want to do and then i don't know if you know who buona spoons is mm-hmm. he's a soft vinyl toy maker and he's been in the scene for a long time like when i first learned like when i had my toy prototype job some of those guys went to a convention and they came back and they were showing me these soft vinyl toys i'm like that thing is wild. Like it's like this cartoony octopus head. He's wearing a striped shirt. And like, what is that about? He's like, Oh, the guy just made it up. (laughs) What do you mean? Like he just, he made his own toys, you know, that was a big, so fast forward to have a friend that sculpted some of his toys. And then um, I was talking to him at designer con. And then he was, he was telling me, he was like, if you have toys that you want to make, what you need to do is do paintings first. Mm -hmm. And then let let people learn about them. And then you'll kind of see, like, people, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If the paintings, some sell, some don't. The ones that sell are the ones that people are, you know, being drawn to. And then as you keep refining those, maybe you can make some resins, see how those do. And then fast forward to, you know, he said, when you get a soft vinyl toy that lands, it pays for, like, the five ideas that didn't work. Yeah. Because, but then everybody wants that one, you know, you keep doing versions of that, but 
it's not a terrible problem to have. And I'm nowhere near doing soft vinyl. I'm very slow. Like mm-hmm. resin blood is such a he. <laughs> I call it his go get him lifestyle. Yeah. But um, he's like, he gets an idea and he just like, he came here one time and they went to a shop at my buddies and like bought some figures. And I was joking. I'm like, did he cast that on the plane going home? Like the next day he already had like a bootleg version of this toy he bought here. And it's like, I don't even know. Like, I don't know if he slept yet or not, but um, I'm just the opposite. It's like, I have this idea and it just seems like it's way off in the distance. And I, I creep towards it. Um, so I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to trust in the process and know that nothing's gonna be fast, but also like uh lean into it. Um and so I'm actually gonna try to cast something that I've had kind of a back burner project. Um so Lab Monkey number nine uh, asked me to be in D is for Dracula nice. in October. And um, so it's going to be like my first cast figure. It's it's a nine inch toy. It's based on um, it's a big boy bank in a in a vampire costume. Awesome. But it's obvious. It's like it's well, it's not super obvious because on the face sculpt, it's like are those his ears and nose, or is that like prosthetics? But then like where he's holding the straps, mm-hmm. like his wings have little snapped like wristbands. Where you can oh, cool. see the wings are like an add-on. Yeah. Um, and it'll all be cast and light. I'm going to do a lightweight resin. I'm going to paint them all. So, um, yeah, so that'll that's kind of like my first. Um, I, I just have to have one done by then. But my goal is to try to do a series of that toy. Um, even though I have so many ideas past it, it's like that one's most of the way done. And have that problem where it's like you get excited you work on something for a while and you get the next idea and then you look back behind you and you have a dozen unfinished projects so i think it's worth doing it now even though it's not where i'm trying to land it's Mm -hmm. it's the trajectory of where i want to go yeah which i think uh fs for frankenstein uh d is for dracula those shows he does um what a perfect way to start to see like Mm -hmm. it kind of gauges people's love for this or and it kind of is just this cool moment to throw out uh, those shows these instagram shows where you can put out any idea that just creeps Mm -hmm. in this head it's awesome and lab nunky he's so good at doing that you can tell by all his toys so it's cool that you're part of it yeah i really respect his work i mean it's like his his mix of like kit bashing and then and um I can't remember the phrase he used because I heard his interview. Mm-hmm. I've, I've probably, I think I've heard like close to 30 of the interviews okay. you've done so far. So I'm still pretty early on. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of working my way through. I'm, I'm trying to start with people that I've met at cons and that are, that I knew already, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm expanding from there, but um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's like that mixture of like finding the right parts, but then also being able to embellish it and, re, and like hand sculpt a part that feels so completely seamless. Yeah. And then his expert level of, of casting, like molding and casting, it's just, and the paint jobs, like the economy of the way he paints, it feels like a production toy. Mm-hmm. And it's just, to me, to me, I love that restraint because you could, you could paint it up to be more quote unquote realistic, 
but it doesn't it's it's almost like a mystery like i can imagine somebody happening upon one of those and being like what's this from mm-hmm. like because it looks it just looks like a factory like a factory finish in a good way i mean that in a good way not like a sloppy yeah. way <laughs> yeah it's incredible his uh more than anything the thing that uh is so crazy to watch is his mold making skills they're mm-hmm. just so well done and yeah. uh just impeccable and so um whenever he does those mold uh pictures he does where he just will put his molds out <laughs> yeah uh, of course i'm liking and saving those because wow um but yeah so i'm excited to see that that's coming do you have um any other massive paintings on their way yeah my next my next two main projects that are commercial projects one is a friend of mine's opening the first ever uh, lego cafe Okay. Where you can basically get a drink and sit down at a table and like build something. You can rent a big box thing that you're not sure you want to commit to and try it out and kind of work with it. Um, like you can rent a station. I think people are going to throw parties. You could like race. You can build this mini kit the fastest yeah. or, you know, stuff like that. And um, I'm going to do like a 11 by 8 foot painting. It's basically like human scale minifigures. And then the name of the store built out of Legos, like, but I'm going to do a painting of it in perspective, kind of like, um, it's like a photo op. Awesome. And so, um, there's that. And then this, uh, taco restaurant, um, is opening their 50th store and they want me to do a relief sculpture of their, uh, characters. And for me, it's like, it goes back to all the other things. It's like, I will do something that's like, adjacent to but not necessarily like where my art is mm-hmm. um partially because it's like i have a skill set you know it's like I've, I've done production or i've done all these different things and i want i want to keep i want to stay self-employed i want to keep trying to make it work and and so me 20 years ago I'd be like i'm not making something for some restaurant you know it's like now i've done a couple of murals for them and it's it's cool that they're trying to take their art in the space to like the next level and having this like five foot wide relief sculpture of their store characters and I know I'm gonna learn from yeah. it too you know I'm gonna sculpt it at a quarter scale and a, a buddy of mine's company is gonna do like a digital scan and they're gonna blow it blow it up to full scale on a CNC router and um, and then I'll hand I'll paint the the final one, if they love it, they might get one for each restaurant. So then it's going to be like a production art job. But it's holy moly! It would, so it'd be like I don't know if they would go back and do all fifty, but it might be moving forward. Like we're we're ordering three more, you know, and and that's the type of thing where it's it's so much better than just like digging a ditch, you know. Sometimes digging a ditch feels good, but like I, I worked at the airport. That was like my only job I've had as an adult that didn't have anything to do with art. I was fueling planes yeah. and throwing luggage and oh man, the sunsets were beautiful because I worked second shift, but like everything else about that job was, <laughs> was, uh, was tough. Yeah. It was a tough job. And so as long as I can try to keep it creative, I'll, I'll do a bunch of stuff. Man, usually we go on to what's next, but you've got your hands full with what's next for your career, like so much stuff. And then, possibility of doing more and more toy work well and the the thing that the thing that's i'm looking at off camera is um 
I've taken some of the techniques I was telling you about with like Photoshop and created. Uh, so Buana um, spoons, uh, he's big in the soft vinyl scene, but he, he does a pop-up shop called grass hut market. Um, and he's like, can you do some, can you do some small portraits um, for a show? And I said, do you want me to do vintage toys or like invented characters? He's like, well, the vibes like invent like your own stuff, mm-hmm. which I don't really have. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I've started like through the Halloween prompts doing it. And I've had an idea of like the same way that, um, like when you look at a toy that somebody's like a bootleg toy and you can look at it and think like, I think that hand is from this toy, but like it's been repurposed so well or mm-hmm. it feels like its own thing. I'm basically doing like, I took like 300 photos of toys in my studio all in the same lighting. And now I'm taking those into Photoshop and I'm like, I'm smashing them together. Yeah. And so I'm creating one of a kind characters, but it's, it's using the pre-existing way, but the same way that like a cut, like a, a cut and paste, like what do you call it? Um, artists that like cut up magazines and collage art. Oh yeah. Instead of doing like a collage where you're bound to, this is the size and the color and the direction that this thing is facing. Like if, yeah. if that's all scanned and you have it, then it's like anything goes, it opens up possibilities. So I'm able to like shift scale, change facial features, put this head on this body. Like, so I just had fun. I spent like every night I would come paint in the studio and then I'd go home and put like two or three hours into a character and I made six. Yeah. And then I just decided like, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to paint these fast because to me they're exploratory and i don't want them to have like too high of a price mm-hmm. also i don't want them to feel too precious uh, so it's going to be like round one yeah and then for the ones that really i really enjoy it i'm like i could do round two with that and do a finesse painting charge more but it would also be more resolved and then does it ever get made into a toy so i'm I'm probably going to work on them some after we get off of here. Awesome. And uh, and I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be, I don't know, man. It's like, it really feels, it really feels like uh, all those different avenues have kind of like funneled into where I'm, we're all like, like in the Mad Max movie when like all the cars yeah. line up, <laughs> and, like it's all, everything's kind of moving the same direction. So it's yeah. like, I can, I can, I can kind of, I have this freedom to kind of like pull from various aspects of, of what I do and, and hopefully make something work. Mm, my gosh, I cannot wait to see some of those <laughs> things. Um, it has been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for coming. Yeah. On. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I just, um, I appreciate it. I mean, um, I feel like um, it's creatively adjacent. You know, it's, I, I came in from an, uh, an odd angle yeah you know to be to be painting them to making them and um it's been a really slow long course like to get to this point um but um yeah i appreciate what you're doing and um i've learned about artists that i didn't know about and i've learned about people whose work i like but i didn't know anything about them and um i think it's really great and i it's um I know it can't be an easy thing to do, but um, you're doing it and you're doing a service to a lot of people 
out there who are trying to learn about it, including people like me who I feel like I'm not like there's like the resin scene. Yeah. And once again, I'm I'm doing that thing. I'm like putting myself kind of like, I can see what's going on in there. It's like, uh, you know, these rings are overlapping, and um, yeah. And I think I think you're shining light on, on that. So I'm trying. I'm trying. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Um. Well, the last part before we get you out of here, um, we leave the last part to plug for the artists. Anything that they've got coming up, going on, all that stuff how people can commission things, if that's something that you're into, how they can collaborate, all that stuff. So if you want to plug everything. Okay, yeah. So um, what I use most of the time is my Instagram. It's mm-hmm. my, it's just my name, Jonathan Queen, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-Q-U-E-E-N. And um, I don't have like a cool art title yeah. name. Um, and I, I've been debating separating out like the toys that I make from my paintings um and so not that long ago i started graveyard shift toys and i set up the little instagram page for it but man so i'm so unorganized it's like i don't need a second (laughs) thing so i've just reshared the toys that i've made i haven't really even i put a prototype for something i'm sculpting on there but um and i tried to separate who like i would follow toy artists from that and then I just went back. It's like, I feel like I need to just merge them and just let it be. It's like, if you don't want to follow me because I make a toy every once in a while, that's fine. You're probably not going to buy anything anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because, yeah, it's like I'm, it's mixing a passion with my vocation. Uh, but as far as uh, I do take on commissions, I mean, I'm pretty slammed right now. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, people send me toys. Uh, the same way that people get their pets painted and their kids mm-hmm. painted. It's like, I would love to be the, I'll paint your favorite toy, you know, I'll, I'll do a glamorous uh, <laughs> rendition of it for you. Um, and, uh, and honor it, you know? And um, so DMs, some get lost, especially like if you're, if you're not following that person, like a lot of stuff gets shuffled into that third category or whatever. And I'll check it every once in a while. It's like, oh shit, this person asked for something like six months ago. Yeah. Um, but um, the link, like through my website, is the best way, the jonathanqueen.com. And there's a link on Instagram that takes you to that. So yeah, if anybody wants to commission, like um, I did a painting of uh, Resin Bloods, well, um, Speed Skull, Soft mm-hmm. Vinyl. Uh, and he used he uh, he bought the painting for me, and and then I was like, you you got the rights to like use it, however. So like he's put it on header cards and stuff. And, um, I'm interested in doing that. It's uh, I don't know if it's for everybody. You know, I don't know if uh, my style is for everybody. I don't know if the you know the things that I'm interested in or what people are making and how that crosses over. But I'm definitely interested in like trying to trying to collaborate with with people and make stuff happen Uh, can't wait dude again thank you so much yeah thank you